Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, one of the dream guests for this podcast, Derek Green of Sepultura, of Outface, of... of um, of Alpha Jerk, of of Overfiend, of et cetera, et cetera. I'm so excited about this one. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and normally guest booker extraordinaire. But this one we got to thank Danko Jones for. Tristan Abraham. Tristan, thank you for everything you do for this show. Really appreciate it. And he will get the message to me. If you want to get in touch with me more directly, I am at left for damien on Instagram and Twitter. There is also a uh, Instagram page for this podcast and a Facebook page for this podcast. Both are found at Turned Out a Punk. And if you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends, letting everyone know that this podcast has got people from all types of bands on it. And, and you can check it out and they talk about punk rock and it's super fun. And just, just let your friends know about that. Or you can subscribe to this and rate it on your podcast platform of choice. But speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do the show, but don't do it out of your own pocket. And of course, all those beautiful, fine people over there supporting patreon.com slash turned out of punk. Turned out of punk has a Patreon page, and I cannot thank the supporters enough for uh, for supporting this thing. And you can go over there and check that out as well. Okay, on to today's show. Today on the show, I am joined by Derek Green, of course, of the legendary, legendary band, um, Sepultura, but also of Outface, a legendary band for the people that know him, that's for sure, and certainly a legendary band around these parts here at Turned Out of Punk. He's, Derek's also like um, a linker of worlds, you know, because not only is he part of the Cleveland scene, but then he moves to New York and forms, you know, Overfiend and Alpha Jerk with all these sort of New York hardcore people. And, and not to mention that he was an original member of Integrity. And then he moves to Brazil and becomes part of Sepultura. Like, so as you can see, this would be a dream episode here at the show. And I got to give a huge thank you to my friend, my buddy, my pal, my inspiration to do a podcast, Danko Jones, of course, of Danko Jones, the, the internationally renowned music group, and of course, of the Danko Jones podcast and, and a writer and, and all sorts of things. And my friend, my friend. And I, so I hit up Danko and I said... Buddy, you got to make this happen. I got to talk to Derek about Clevo music, and he made it happen. So thank you, Danko, for coming through, buddy. And once again, check out his podcast. You are uh, missing out if you're not listening to it right now. It's one of my favorites out there, and I would not be doing this thing without him. So there you go. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. There's so much left to talk about. But don't forget to check out the brand new Sepultura record, uh, Quadra. It's available now on streaming services. And also, don't forget out there to check out their weekly uh, Sepulquadra um, live streams that they've been doing as well. You see people like Danko Jones on there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Derek Green on Turned Out a Punk. Derek, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, as I was just telling you off air, you are one of my dream guests that I've always wanted to have on this show. And when I realized finally that our mutual friend Danko Jones could set this up, I imposed on him immediately to make it happen. 
Well, I, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, he told me when he was on a Sepulchre that we do every Wednesday with Sepultura, and uh, he was singing a song with us, and we had a Q&A, and uh, there's a lot of, you know, Brazilians that really enjoy Dan- Danko, and uh, it was great to have him on, and he told me about you, and I I thought he was joking with me, and he's like, no, I have a friend that's, like, seriously into, like, Cleveland stuff, and, uh, and he wants to do something with you, and I was like, okay, sure, why not? Well, that is uh, a high bar that he set for me, but I will try and live up to it. Um, but I got to start this <laughs> off the way they all start off, which is, Derek, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah. Um, it's actually, I'm still friends with the person that kind of introduced me to, uh, actually, I'm, I'm really close friends with all the people that kind of got me interested in going to punk shows and buying records and and definitely being absorbed in that scene. Um, and I guess it started just from going to record stores, you know, and, and checking out people's records that they were playing, you know, after school coming to listen to, you know, a stack of records. And it was, you know, something that everyone was really, I mean, at least my friends we were doing. And so became very familiar with a lot of uh, different bands uh, from all over. And it, it was great because Cleveland is set where there's so many bands that are traveling through the U.S. touring. And it's a place that's kind of in the middle, but not really in the U.S. But um, it's a great stopping point um, between really, really big cities. So uh, we were able to see a lot of shows. And um, one of my friends, uh, his name is Bill Gill. He still a very close friend of mine. He works for Taylor Guitars. And um, we started going to all the shows together, uh, all the shows together. And one of the first shows was seeing, uh, I believe it was Cro-Mags. And that, that just like really blew my mind. You know, mm-hmm. that was, you know, more of a hardcore band, but um, it kind of led the way into going to all different types of genres, you know, punk and and sky and everything, you know, it just opened the door. And well, Cleveland's such a like amazing town for music, you know, obviously like the birthplace of rock and roll and also the birthplace mm-hmm. of punk. And then you know, bands like the guns, like it really feels right. Wow. It's, it's got that kind of lineage. It, it definitely does. I mean, that was something I discovered after, uh, I started going to shows and discovering there was a past, you know, it was very exciting getting to know like what, what, what were some of the first bands that really kicked it off here? The Guns, for me, was still in my generation, so it was, I, I mean, for me, it was, like, so exciting. Um, but I totally missed that. I mean, it happened so quickly, <laughs> you know, the whole era of The Guns. And, um, I mean, the whole hardcore scene and stuff like that really was relatively quick. Um, and so... I, I mean, I, I just remember hearing the tapes and everything and the stories about it was just kind of legendary, you know, the guns. Um, there was like Pedro Ubu was another like Cleveland band um, that was gained a lot of recognition. Um, Dead Boys, you know, classic that gained, you know, they're from Cleveland as well. And 
um, Nine Inch Nails. They're from Cleveland. Filter. They're from Cleveland. And, um, you know, the list goes on and on. But um, very fortunate I was able to, to go to shows and see a lot of shows. And that was something that we did all the time. You know, <laughs> to catch like any show, you know, it didn't really matter. There wasn't the internet. You had to go <laughs> see the show for yourself, you know, and say like, okay, this is what it looks like. This is what's happening. You know, it was uh, interactive. So it was, it was a fantastic place to grow up and see shows. Oh yeah. And it's just like, you know, like, you know, as you say there with like the dead boys and like even bands like rock from the tombs and the pagans, it's just like, right. Oh yeah. So pagans. steep in it. <laughs> I just actually, have you heard that Peter Loeffner box that just came out? There's like 15, like five records with like 15 tracks each of all just demos of his. Wow. I didn't know that came out. It's, it's amazing. Like just how deep it goes, but like, what were you into music wise before the punk rock stuff? Like what was drawing you to those record stores? Well, there's, uh, I mean, I was really getting into like rock oriented stuff like ACDC Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, um, you know, th that was in Brush, you know, <laughs> and I mean, these are like bands that had like <clears throat> a massive influence before I got into um, hardcore and punk. Um, there was a guy that like in sixth grade, I remember this very well, MTV just started to to come on the air and it was if you had cable tv then you're like oh my god it was gold mm -hmm. and i remember this guy his name was matt johnson and he he had cable and he had a drum set and his brother played guitar and they would always do these jams of doing covers of rush or iron maiden and it was and it was spot on they sounded fantastic you know and i was it just blew my mind and um it was so exciting i was just like oh my god this is you know I, so i really got into like iron maiden judas priest um i mean they just blew my mind like this style of of rock you know it's just so heavy and um it, it's so funny because that guy matt johnson um whose kid you know when we were growing up going to his house he ended up becoming the drummer of one of my most favorite bands ever <laughs> like in the history of like music. I mean, he ended up becoming the drummer for Jeff Buckley. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I was just like, Whoa, you know, my brain was just like blown away when I found that out. And I was like, I got to try to contact him, man. <laughs> it was like, that's just mind blowing. <laughs> that so, is, uh, but it's, it's kind of unending. Like you touched on it earlier with like all the stuff coming out of Cleveland, but like, just like even looking at Outface, like the fact that, Sepultura, like, um, Filter, I Integrity, Civ, like, all these bands are connected through Outface, too. It's just, like, it's amazing. Like, when you think about how many people were at these shows, like, what, maybe, like, 150 at some of these shows, and, like, almost, like, every single person had a significant impact on music. <laughs> That's true. I, I mean, I never really thought about it that way, and it's, I mean, God, everybody was, like, really connected in that scene. I mean, mm -hmm. we had such a passion for going to shows and, and playing music and it was great that we we're able to open up for a lot of the bands that we idolized you know that was so much fun and it gave us a lot of exposure so i think there's a lot of opportunities you know if you could put it together a band and you really stuck to it you know um in cleveland you know there were a lot of venues to play at and um 
like I said, I, I believe the opportunity was there. I mean, I knew so many bands and there were always things happening with college radio or somebody doing some type of mini show or festival and just making things happen, you know? Mm -hmm. So when you started going to shows, like after, you know, getting into this stuff, like what were some of the local bands that were happening or what were some of the bands that you were kind of drawn to at first? Okay. Um, definitely false hope. That was one of my favorite bands. And, uh, I am still shocked to this day that they never went on to do anything more. Um, but that was definitely one of my favorites. Um, knife dance was another band that mm. played a lot. Starvation army, seeing them all the time. Um, God, you're making me go back in time, going through that door. Jeez. Oh, it's, um, sorry, go on. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Uh, I'm gonna have to think on it. No, no problem. <laughs> I know I, there's my, there's, I, I remember, of course, there's a very good friends with Dwayne growing up with them and being there from the very beginning of integrity. So there was a uh, bands like Confront, mm -hmm. um, that were like kind of like a straight edge band and um domestic violence was one band and hyper's hell was another band that was like older that i really enjoyed seeing as well um yeah and face value with tony erba i remember when that came about <laughs> of course <laughs> and uh but uh, yeah i was i was there you know for the beginning of like a, a different wave of Cleveland music of heavy music. Yeah, exactly. Well, like so other people that have been on from Cleveland kind of from, you know, the, well, obviously people that you've brought up just now, um, right. they've talked about how there was almost this divide between like the hardcore scene. Um, and then sort of this sort of like St. Valentine scat record scene that was like sort of more, I guess, indie rock for lack of a better right. term, but like more kind of rock, I guess. Yeah, I guess there was, I mean, a little bit of a division, but it didn't really have to be. I, I don't think it was that. I, I mean, maybe it was a little more dramatic thinking about it, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's because it was coming from the side of like this second wave of heavy music, like hardcore scene, you know, was really skeptical about a lot of the older stuff that happened, I think. And so... I don't know. I guess there was this maybe a resistance to combine the scenes, but everyone was really friends with each other. So it was inevitable that it would happen and, and everyone becoming appreciative of two different styles of music and, and seeing that, you know, everyone has an advantage of seeing all these different styles of music. And I think that's happened. I mean, it just happened naturally because everyone was growing up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Outface's stuff really kind of reflects that. Like it's not, obviously it's hardcore, but like, there's also like this sort of post-hardcore before post-hardcore right. was a thing, uh, kind of vibe to it too. It feels like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we're able to, you know, fit in between, you know, these two extremes that were kind of going on and, uh, and, and, and gather elements from all those different scenes and, I mean, we're experimenting a lot of times, but there's an influence definitely of like melodical uh, style of hardcore mm -hmm. from like Dag Nasty, you know, it was like a big influence and um, Stalag 13 and um, yeah, uh, Descendants, things like that were like 
and, and, and things like the faction as well, you know, mm-hmm. bands that are like really revolving around skateboarding because that's all we were doing at the time. <laughs> it was like skating and then playing music on top of that was just like an added bonus, you know. So um, any type of bands like that, like suicidal, you know, were just like heavily influenced by all that. What about bands like, you know, the bands like The Mice or Death of Samantha or like, you know, all right. were Death those bands Samantha. like an influence at all? Um, I don't think for us mm-hmm. so much, but I remember those, you know, seeing those bands and, um, but I, I don't know, I guess for me, I just couldn't really relate so much to maybe lyrically and, and musically. It just didn't really touch me. Of course. So, mm-hmm. uh, where did you kind of, how did you get involved with Outface? Cause they, there's like an Outface demo before, no, maybe there's not a demo, but there were a band before you joined, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good question. I was thinking, was there a demo before I joined the band? I I can't remember. I'm going to have to ask somebody. (laughs) I've never seen one listed, but then at the same time, I've I've definitely seen listings that these were songs uh, that existed before you joined the band. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't know if there was an actual recording of it. I'm going to have to (laughs) ask a friend of mine who actually sang for a minute <laughs> and outfits that my friend that works at Taylor guitar. So <laughs> he was like, I, I was the roadie of outface. And so I knew all the songs. And when my friend was like, ah, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I was like, huh? They're like, why don't you, uh, they asked me to, to be the singer since I knew the songs, since I was a roadie and, um, I just kind of stepped into that position I never wanted to be a singer. Actually, I was. It was just something that, uh, you know, the right time and the right moment. I guess it was like just for to have fun, you know, with friends and everything. Well, you kind of took to it, you know. It kind of <laughs> right. worked out. Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely took some time. I remember one of the first shows having. Um, it was in Kent State, in this place called JB's Down Under, and there were a lot of shows that were happening there as well, and. Uh, I just had my back turned to the audience the entire show, you know, like mm-hmm. singing. And people were like very supportive, like, okay, that was great. And next time, just turn and face the audience. <laughs> and it's going to be amazing. You know, I was just like really nervous. And, um, you know, I had to come out of my shell, but that took some time. And, and I became definitely comfortable uh, on stage and, and, and feeling. Uh, more of my personality come out with the music as we grew together as a band. Uh, given like how, uh, you know, m- more, much more melodic Outface was than, you know, bands like Integrity or like Face Value or Confront, like mm-hmm. where did you fit in? Did you like, I guess, played with those bands, but were there other bands? Yeah, we, we did a lot of shows together. I mean, majority of, majority of the shows that we did in Cleveland were with all those bands. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I guess the scene was really diverse, you know, it wasn't as, uh, segregated, um, as maybe I made it seem earlier on, but I, I felt that, um, there was always people, everyone, we were always friends, you know, until we're all weirdos and everybody <laughs> wanted to be around all the weirdos from different areas of Cleveland. So, um, you know, there's the west side and then there's the east side of Cleveland. And so um, there'd be this, uh, let me say, like 
everyone coming together, like a gathering would happen, you know, at shows and there would just be people from all these different areas. So most of the people that I went to shows, I mean, they didn't go to my high school, you know, it was very few people from my high school that even go to shows. And, um, I guess it was the same for all these other places. And we just all gathered at shows and it was all the freaks together mm-hmm. and we're all happy. It was like a great scene. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, so we did a lot of shows together with all those bands all the time. Uh, so how did the relationship with Walter come about? Like, how'd you first meet those guys? Well, he was playing with, uh, Gorilla Biscuits and Mute to Today and they were passing through Cleveland playing shows and we were at the shows and all the time and we're big fans and we ended up becoming friends, uh, just from passing, you know, them staying over, um, playing many times in Cleveland and, um, we just became friends from that. It's kind of amazing too, like how Outface definitely would fit in with where all those bands would kind of go a little bit later, like obviously Quicksand or even Moondog before that. Mm-hmm. You know, right? No, definitely. I think it was, you know, not by chance. I mean, it was really interesting how that all came together because, um, like immediately when they needed a guitarist, or they uh, asked Charlie, you know, because they knew Outface, you know. So this connection of like Outface opening up shows for Gorilla Biscuits or Youth of Today, um forming this friendship they realized like hey who's a guitarist that you know does like a melodical style and could do this you know tour so he did one of the first quicksand tours charlie oh awesome okay and i and i was the roadie on the tour (laughs) (laughs) and uh and it was in inside out so zach yeah from rage he was on that tour and um oh man beyond was beyond on that tour too Yep, Beyond, or no, Beyond were not on that tour. There's a third but, uh, band, Kevin, right? Yeah, there was a third band. Into uh, Another maybe, or no? No, no, it was Inside Out, Quicksand, and no. It's another uh, Rev band. Oh my God, I'll fix this in the intro. I'm really, I yeah. should know this. <laughs> I should know this too. It's on the tour for like a few days. And I just read an article about it too, so. Well, that's like one of those tours that's become like, you know, obviously legendary at this point, but it's also, I think another perfect example of, you know, a bunch of people going on, you know, once again, yourself, Zach, right. all these people to huge bands and that have, have massive influence, but once shelter again, shelter, that's sorry, a hundred percent. Sorry. No, I was like, yeah, they're shelter. Right. Yes, that's right. Oh, God, I, I, could I knew it was a rep band. I knew it was a rep yes, band, but definitely. <laughs> But it just, it's amazing. Once again, like it's just, it's, it's punk rock and hardcore is such a, a magnet for interesting people. Like you're saying that just wind up doing interesting things. Yeah. I I definitely believe it is a magnet for that. Um, just me. I mean, I just remember growing up and, and having a different outlook on certain things around us. It was really important. I felt, you know, I mean, it was such a, it can be a really conservative place, um, the United States and, and, and especially in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Cleveland, I think it's always been very open-minded and there's always been a lot of diversity that goes on in the city. So it's very different from the rest of Ohio. 
but at the same time, there's still that mentality that's that's very uh, can be small minded at times, and, and to break away from that, you know, it's really big and really important. So I think a lot of those open minded people who wanted to break away wanted to do something different outside of the box. We're always going to these shows, and that creativity and that uh, fearlessness and personality, I think mix you know mix very well in creating a lot of very interesting people so uh there's definitely a style shift that happens throughout outface like from the first tape obviously to <laughs> yeah. the crisis record um is is that reflected on that second tape i've never heard that second tape the one from 1990 the oh my tape. god yeah that was um there was a radical change i think we're we're so driven by a, a lot of music that we're hearing at the time so I think it kind of fell more into like a, a rock oriented, like grunge phase, you know, almost <laughs> like, I want to say like Alice in Chains or Soundgarden, but like the earlier albums. So mm-hmm. it was really dark and heavy, very melodic, um, very Sabbath like. And um, it definitely, I, I'm just remembering the songs in my head. Um, but it was pretty cool. You know, I kind of liked the way that it was going. Um, but you know, that was definitely the end of the end. Um, just, you know, the timing of everything was, it was time to go. And I left with Charlie from, um, from Cleveland and moved to New York. Before you left. And as the band was changing its sound, were you still playing with those same sort of bands or was there like another scene that was also emerging at the same time in Cleveland? I think there was a whole different thing that was coming about, but by then I was already, my mind was already really in New York. You know, I was just like, okay, making arrangements and, um, you know, making plans for when I get there and and we were thinking about the future really. So that took some time to really prepare to, to, to move and to do all that. So my, my head was definitely not, what was going on in the scene. Um, but I was just like, okay, let's do this is, you know, a whole new adventure. How much touring did Outface actually get to do? Well, we did a lot of like, we attempted to do shows in, in Toronto <laughs> and, um, and, and we've done shows in Detroit and the area of like the Cleveland area, Chicago and Erie, Pennsylvania. And, New York, um, just spread out in Pennsylvania, a lot of different places there, like small towns. But then we had an opportunity to go to Europe. And I don't even know how they came together, but just from writing letters back and forth and um, a promoter there from this booking agency, uh, MAD, they're from Germany. And the guy's name is Mark Nickel. And he was the one that was like, Hey, I'll bring you guys over. You have to pay for your tickets, but I'll take care of everything on the tour. Um, so that was my first time in an airplane, you know, my first time, uh, touring in Europe. Um, but it, it was incredible. You know, we were able to do that. Um, which was, I don't know, I think two weeks or so. Um, but it was one of the best tours of my life. <laughs> was that around the time of friendly green? Yeah, yeah, it had been out because they had the album, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
you know, we had posters and a few of the albums for sale and everything. And, um, you know, he heard about it, Mark Nickel, because of Walter. And Walter um, had toured with Mark before. And I think that's how the whole connection happened. And so what kind of bands were you guys playing with over there? And how long was that tour, if you remember? Uh, that tour is about two weeks. And we were opening for Sure Terror from New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was, that was awesome. <laughs> it was really like unexpected. I had no idea what to expect, but it was just, it was incredible. You know, it was my first time in Europe and, and Sir Terra were amazing and comical and, oh my God, it was really just overwhelming. You know, like the whole tour, I was like everything, every, I just loved everything. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. How did you guys go over? Cause like, once again, well, sure. Tara, that's before the major label record. Right. So I guess <laughs> right. they're still pretty yeah. heavy at that point. Yeah. I mean, uh, like we were very comfortable playing live and putting on like an energetic show. So a lot of people were really into that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the reaction was, was fantastic. It was really positive. And, um, a lot of people were just like, oh, I never seen a band like this. And, um, yeah, there's actually people years later, they're just like, oh my God, you, you slept at my, my place in East Germany when you guys came. I was like, oh my God. And then, you know, he's working at a club or a venue um, that I'm playing there with like Sepultura or something. It's just mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. It's once again, that punk rock network that you keep running yeah. these people here. Oh life. yeah. They're, they're everywhere. It <laughs> yeah. just stays connected, you know? Uh, going back to Cleveland, uh, was Asphalt, uh, just like an in-studio project or did uh, you guys ever play live? Yeah, that was an in-studio project and it was a lot of fun. You know, I really wish I would have had my head in it more than, because again, it was that time when I was like, okay, I'm leaving, getting ready to go to New York. But, um, I, I really love that. You know, when I hear it now, um, I think it was, it brings back a lot of really great memories but, um, God, I would love to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, I love, uh, well, I've only heard, uh, some of it like that, uh, three, six, uh, I don't, I've never heard the seven inch, but that, uh, three fifty seven knockout CDs, incredible. Oh uh, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, oh, go on. Sorry. No, no, no. Go on. <laughs> I was going to say that dark empire two CD is one of my favorite compilations ever. Uh, the dark empire CD. Wow. You know, if that's online anywhere. I think that might be on YouTube. I actually still have my CD really? copy from back in the day. Oh my God. I would love to hear that. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. The stuff if, if we can't find it online, I will definitely find a way to burn it, to send it to you. But it's like, once again, it really reflects the diversity of that Sonic of that scene that you guys were putting together there right. like from yourselves to like, you know, the guns of course. And, and like even mushroom heads on that record. The- Wow, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh my God, I gotta hear it now. I'm, li- I'm so curious. It's been, it's been a long time. It's- yeah, I mean, being in this like whole lockdown, you know, I've discovered like a lot of stuff that I completely have forgotten about. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a great time to kind of catch up on on your life when we for the second to slow down and look at things. <laughs> Right. <laughs> or for me to nerd out about Clevo music, which is also something that I find I always 
<laughs> any excuse to do that. Um, what about a, a band like Apartment 213 and stuff like that? Do you guys play with those sorts of bands as well? No, that was like after I, I had already left by then. But I, I mean, one band that I really actually, when I came back to Cleveland, when I was in New York with the band that I did um, after Charlie had left <laughs> when we moved to new york charlie and i had a band and then charlie left to play with civ yeah so then i started this band called alpha jerk and we played a show in cleveland and uh we were playing with keelhaw and that's my all-time favorite band after i left cleveland that 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 band blew my mind i was just like my favorite Cleveland band for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. So the band that you did before that with Charlie, that was like Overfiend, right? I think it's called. Right. It was called Overfiend. And I just got the demos a few weeks ago. Um, again, another lockdown COVID <laughs> <laughs> thing coming to the surface, like, Oh, we should put this out. You should. Um, I, I would love to hear that. <laughs> But it was really cool to hear, and I, I just think it needs to be remixed, and it will be fine. I mean, it was a lot of fun to do, but it's it's hilarious to hear it, man. It's it really brings back again like great memories. Well, it's such a it's like that like talk about an all star lineup for a band. Like, uh, what did it sound like? <laughs> oh my god, let's see. <laughs> I think it was like a. A mixture of like Chromags and and uh, Orange Nine and I don't know. It's like a, a crazy mix. Again, we were just like, let's do this, you know, like stoked about all this music that was happening around us, and I think it was you know influenced heavily by those bands. You got to put it out. Oh my gosh, this sounds awesome. <laughs> Um, uh, going back to, to that band, how many shows did you guys play? Mm, with Overfiend? Yeah. Probably three. <laughs> <laughs> three shows, possibly. One was out in, I want to say it was in Long Island. And um, with this band called Shift, I think they're from New York, for sure. And, um, and something else. Yeah, we didn't really do that many shows because the whole idea of Civ came along mm -hmm. and then uh and then Charlie uh took off. Yeah, because you opened that you opened for six <laughs> and Sammy. Oh, Sammy too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it sounds like it would have been uh, such an interesting time to get to New York. Like I've I just finished doing like a, a week of shows all about New York in the early nineties because it's like Oh wow. It was just so much stuff going on from like you know, yeah, like, there was a lot. Yeah. What was your take on it coming from Cleveland and arriving in New York at that time? Well, that was the, one of the reasons why we wanted to, to move there. We, we felt that we'd done everything we possibly could in Cleveland without face. And we, we had met so many new people and we felt that New York with the friends that we knew that were living there, we would be able to find something, you know, stronger band you know with people that really wanted to go further mm -hmm. so that was the idea you know it's like finding a bass player uh john joseph from chromax actually helped me find uh sarah cox 
and she played bass in Overfiend, and uh, she was awesome. She was like old school New York. Um, John and knew her from the scene, and for a really long time. I mean, she was there from, you know, she went to high school for a lot, like the Beastie Boys, and and uh, you know, hung out in that whole scene that was happening, like on Avenue A, with like where Bad Brains were rehearsed and everything. Mm-hmm. And so she was great, you know, she was fantastic, and still very good friends with her. And um, yeah, I mean, we actually had uh eric this guy eric he was in orange nine at the very beginning and he played for like a minute (laughs) before (laughs) before sarah um but i mean we had luke abby from gorilla biscuits he played for a minute I think (laughs) (laughs) it's like hard to remember now, but no, actually there was just only Sammy, but, uh, every, yeah, all these people are like interchangeable. It seems, you know, it's just crazy times where a lot of this was happening. Mm -hmm. So so would like alpha jerk play in a different scene than Overfiend would have played in? Obviously Overfiend played very few shows, but I mean like (laughs) (laughs) worlds. No, not really. Because it was, again, it was the same people that we're friends with you know from the scene mm-hmm. it was a very small scene so I, I was just listening to alpha jerk on this compilation it's like new york hard, artist new york artist yeah At, volume two absolutely volume two and i was like oh my god i completely forgot it or on that <laughs> so yeah we were playing shows with all those bands that were on you know on that compilation like at CBs or, or, you know, around that area of New York, mm-hmm. not all the time, but it was like, not, it was common, you know, so it wasn't that crazy. <laughs> yeah. Cause it just feels like once again, I, and very much reflected, I guess, by in Cleveland as well, but like the fact that you've got alpha jerk, which sounds nothing like Scarhead, which sounds <laughs> nothing like Candiria. <laughs> That's true. I don't know how that happened. I guess, I mean, it's just really from being friends with people in the scene and just everyone kind of like doing their own thing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it, it's uh, also Alpha Jerk put out that record on Toy Box, which once again, a label I'm obsessed with. What a cool label. Jesus, man. I don't know how you know this stuff is incredible. <laughs> Well, all I do when I'm not, you know, putting the kids to bed or cooking for the kids is sit here in my room, fiend over my records. Uh. Wow. Yeah. That toy box, that was again, like writing letters to like people and, and, and reaching out and sharing demos and stuff. It's insane that we had to do it that way back then. <laughs> well, and there's such a strong connection between that label and Cleveland, like obviously yourself, um, in alpha jerk, but also like, like they did all those records for integrity and, you know, right. but then at the same time, also doing records for like grade and hot water music. Like what a oh, hot water music. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's pretty cool. You know that, I mean, it was definitely unexpected. Um, but, man, I, I, I had a really good feeling. It was also the first time, you know, even doing like alpha jerk and searching out like a label. It was just, it came from wanting to be in a band so badly. Like I moved to New York and I was like, you know what? I'm going to play guitar. Cause 
I'm not going to be able to find a guitarist quick enough for me. You know, <laughs> like I was just like, I was so anxious to really dive into it. And um, so I was just like, I'm, I'm going to try to write these songs and put this together. And just that desperation, you know, it was just like that hunger. Um, it was just necessary. So it was great that we're able to connect with like Toy Box. I never imagined that would happen, but um, just all fell together. And did you guys tour much? You mentioned going back to Cleveland with Alpha Jerk. No, we didn't tour that much. We did we did that show in Cleveland. Um, we did a few shows with the Lunatics, mm-hmm. um, which is fucking awesome. Oh, such um, an underrated band. I know, I know, completely. Yeah. <laughs> but that was so much fun, you know, in the New York area. Um, just like really weird stuff. And, you know, it was like really hard to get shows. <laughs> Coney Island High, you know. It was easier to get shows, I guess, in New York, the city itself. But outside of New York, it was virtually impossible for us. Um, but by then, you know, like after doing these shows with like lunar chicks and stuff, um, that's when I got approached about Sepultura. And I guess like, according to legend, it's, it's Mike Gitter from triple X fanzine, right? Who makes the connection. Yep. He is. And, and the reason he knew me is because of Outface. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was very important that I did Outface, or he would <laughs> never have seen it. It's all connected in a weird way, but it's very true. So, he was really an A&R person that was going to shows and I'd see him all the time. He was very knowledgeable about music as well, about what was going on the scene and all the bands. And I believe he just started working at Roadrunner Records. So, um, you know, it was kind of shocking, but uh, it, it makes sense when he, when he tells me the story. He's like, oh, I thought, you know, they needed somebody different completely different um if they tried to have somebody like a a double of him then it wouldn't work and fans would just blow the band off um so he figured that i could do melodical and scream if necessary and he felt that the band could have a a a different future you know not trying to repeat itself um which sepultura had never done before i got in the band either so um, it was something that the band wanted as well. And he knew that like they needed something that was going to go forward, you know? Absolutely. And like, I, I imagine you were already very familiar with Sepultura, but were you familiar at all with other Brazilian bands before any Brazilian punk? Bands? No, not at all. I knew nothing. I was completely oblivious to <laughs> the country, Brazil, the language, the culture. I, I was the only thing I knew about Brazil was Pele. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it was like completely naive about every aspect of Brazilian culture. It's amazing how you know, <laughs> it's amazing how much you took to it then. Cause you can speak Portuguese or Brazilian Portuguese now, right? Yes, that is correct. And, and it took some time because I was very lazy, but also the fact that I had a lot of friends that were speaking English mm-hmm. to me in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's my own fault. I mean, it's, it's a tough language. Um, but I was able to adapt, you know, by getting a lot of the, what are they called? Um, I don't forget a lot of English words too from being there. <laughs> I want to say it in Portuguese as slang. 
Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, picking up. So once I got the slang and knew all the different slang, then it was much easier to communicate. But yeah, I, I knew, I didn't really know anything and I didn't, I wasn't that familiar with Sepultura. Like I only knew of two, three albums that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know like each person, like if they walked in, I would be like, I have no idea this person's name. (laughs) (laughs) So what was that process like? Cause that was obviously, or still is remains like one of the, the most, I guess, coveted positions to kind of be taken up by someone and, and obviously successfully taken up by someone. But like, what was that whole process like kind of auditioning and, and everything like that? I guess since I, I was completely oblivious to the fact that, it was really a big deal. Um, I, I, the process wasn't that stressful until I actually got into the situation of realizing like how big this was. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but, um, I did my demo at this guy's studio named Davide and Davide was the the bass player for Orange Nine Millimeter. Oh, whoa! And so Davide, he auditioned for Sepultura before I did, <laughs> and he went to San Diego, did the audition, and he plays guitar well, and 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 he can sing, and he knows all the Sepultura songs. Like he was a huge fan. Like he really was like, I just I want to jam with them. So. He did the audition and they liked him. They're like, "Wow, you're you're fucking awesome!" And they're like, "Well, you." And then they asked him, "Like, hey, you want to be in the? You want to be a part of this band?" And then he was like, "Nah, I don't want to do it." <laughs> <laughs> Came back to New York and was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go to my studio." <laughs> and for him, and he, and he told me he was like, "Hey, they're nice guys." He's like, "But that's a massive position. I don't know. It's kind of crazy." I want to do the studio. (laughs) Once again, though, it worked out, right? Like this is all fake. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I I heard back from them like a month later and, um, they were just like, yeah, come to Brazil. Uh, we'll send you a ticket. You get on the plane this week and then fly down. I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, are you kidding me? Like this weekend I'm going to fly to Brazil and meet you guys and, and and I knew nothing again about Brazil so I had to go to the library check out a book you know start reading up on Brazil cuz there was no internet back then and, and I had a <laughs> library card then that's how long ago yeah. <laughs> how things change yeah rapidly, rapidly. cuz it doesn't seem that long ago um and then I I flew down to Brazil and I, I didn't know them or how to speak Portuguese or anything. I knew very little about Brazil, even after reading. <laughs> well, what was it like kind of getting down there then? Like, as you said, like, you know, before that your traveling had pretty much been mm-hmm. going that Europe, that trip, right? Right. Exactly. So, uh, I, I got there and, and Paulo, the bass player, he was the first person that picked me up. He was, I, I understand now because he was single, doesn't have a family, like uh, no kids. So he was able to do it. <laughs> and the other guys were like family guys, you know, they have kids, you know, they're living in the suburbs. Um, I, I'm just all learning this, you know, as I'm going through this. And so um, I'm going to meet each 
one of them, you know, at their house um, and spend a little time with each person. So first it was Paulo and he took me to like some crazy bar where you could shoot like compound crossbow in a bar <laughs> with alcohol. And I was just like, what is going on? They have like bands playing upstairs. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this place is magical. I just couldn't believe, you know, that it just seemed like lawlessness. So I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And everyone extremely friendly. I mean, people there are love foreigners there. Mm-hmm. They truly love foreigners. They love to show off Brazil. Like this is, this is my Brazil. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you, you know? So I, I know I just immediately it was like this is incredible and then going to the beach and Paulo and meeting his friends and his family and just hanging out and everyone just really kind and and then doing the same uh, going to like football games you know like massive Brazilian football games where everyone's like playing drums and percussion instruments and the concrete is shaking you know from people moving it's intense yeah you know i was just like oh my god this is incredible like you know from beach to football game you know just it it was a lot to take in and realizing that this is when i started to freak out because everyone knew them there like freaking out like autographs and you know just wanting to have autographs and all the time everyone looking at them and, and knowing them um, and then realizing that they're a massive deal, you know, mm-hmm. there to the country. And, and so, uh, yeah, that, that began to, you know, the nervousness started to set in then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also like, I've only unfortunately ever gotten to go once, uh, and just play one quick show and then have to leave the next day. But just like being such a fan of the music there, like, it, it, heavy music, it just seems like it, it's it's a much larger part of the culture. But once again, I'm just oh, yeah. visiting briefly to see that. Oh man, it, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a massive part of the culture. I mean, no matter walk of life you are there, you know, if you're rich or poor or whatever you go on to do, you know, as a child growing up there, like heavy music for a lot of kids, especially in the '80s and '90s. You know, it was a big deal and still is. Um, But, you know, they had a dictatorship up until 89. So a lot of that wave of like 80s and stuff that was happening in the States or in North America never hit there until after the dictatorship. So in the 90s, you know, so Rock and Rio, you know, happening for its first time. I mean, it was like a late coming you know all those bands are already massive but um they never got to see any of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it became like you know as soon as rock and real played you know people were just like in love with queen and as soon as like the ramones were able to play people loved ramones or kiss you know they just grew up like idolizing they're just like we finally get to see them you know like fantasizing about it you know knowing the material extremely well getting bits and information about it, you know, because it was forbidden, you know, they couldn't get a lot of the records. You had to buy a black market there. And so they developed this complete passion for the music and they pass it on to their kids as well. So they go to the shows with their kids, they take them, they involve them into the culture. 
And I, I really realized this when I was there and um, I've never been a big deep purple fan, mm-hmm. but, but being in Brazil, it was like, they were gods there. Like every <laughs> teenager, you know, they, they had a cover band that was like deep purple. They were playing. And I was like, Oh my God, I kind of know these songs, but man, it, now living in Brazil, I know every deep purple song, you know, all the deep cuts. <laughs> oh yeah. And I love it. You know, I'm like, how could I not have been into deep purple? But, and then we got to open for them in Brazil with Sepultura, which was like mind blowing. Wow. That is mind blowing. That Sepultura would open <laughs> for them too. It was crazy, but I mean, I mean, they have this love of, of passion for heavy music, you know, and rock and rail is still the biggest day are the rock days. You know, mm-hmm. there's like days where there's big pop artists, you know, and Beyonce or Justin Timberlake, but still the sold out days are always the rock days, you know, with Metallica, Iron Maiden, you know, it's always been that way. It really feels also like, um, you know, once again, just as from an outsider looking in, but like, like punk and hardcore and by extension, grindcore and death metal were political musics too. Like, like during the dictatorship and afterwards are like, you know, it's, it's real political. This is true. I mean, it was definitely had an impact, you know, I mean, there are a lot of their most famous artists, you know, were, um, they had to leave the country, you know? And Mm -hmm. so they became very, uh, known for that, you know, their, for their politics, you know, for really fighting against that regime. So, I mean, it it has, it plays a a huge role, you know? I mean, when I remember seeing even rage against machine play Brazil for the first time, um, and, and just people just destroying the barricade, you know, just losing it, you know, like that's another like band of like played on the radio there, every cover band. Cause there's a lot of cover bands they are like, we're doing a raid song. I'm like, here we go. It's going to either going to be rage against the machine, deep purple, dire straits. Um, there's just certain bands that were like, people lose their mind to there. You know, it's just like, Oh, Oh my God you know, dire straits. I'm like, wow, men at work. It, um, yeah. It breaks my heart that they're not doing Coliera covers or, uh, RDP covers, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely not doing as many of those covers. <laughs> I mean, when I got there, I, I still, like I said, I didn't know any Brazilian bands. And the first band that I discovered was Chico science and the sounds of me. And uh, they were from the Northeast, and and I believe the guitarist played with Max in SoFi on the first uh, SoFi album. Oh, like what? Is, what is this? Uh, you've stumped me on this. Man. <laughs> what is this thing? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Science and the Sons B. They're from the Northeast of Brazil, and they have elements of rock and maraca too, which is a style of drumming, sound, uh, musical sound that's coming from the Northeast of Brazil and uh, Hisifi specifically the city. And, um, they mix these elements and they have their own personality, this band. And, uh, unfortunately the singer died, uh, a few years before I got in the band and, and they, now they're called the sound zombie, but, um, man, the videos and everything from them from the past, it's, it's incredible. And I have all their albums and they just sound very unique and the flow of it. It's, it just doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard. And, 
I mean, the rhythm section is just mind blowing. And, um, I just thought they were just so talented and so unique and, and just really ahead of their times. It's amazing. Like, you know, what you're like, you know, obviously we're talking about Cleveland having a lot of different stuff coming out of the scene, but <laughs> right. the stuff that comes out of Brazil, just like the oh, sonic man. diversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely gets that from a lot of the, the, you know, the history of the country. Um, you know, the Portuguese coming there and then having the natives that were already living there, the Indians, and then having um, a large Italian population, Japanese, larger Japanese population outside of Japan mm-hmm. lives in Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the African influence and all this mixed into Brazil really comes through in their music, you know, in different parts of Brazil as well. It's a massive country. So the north of Brazil has different sounds than the south of Brazil, you know, but you hear music all the time there, uh, all around you, and people are just extremely passionate about it. Uh, Going back to that Rage Against the Machine show, if you could go back in time, would you prefer to be at an Inside Out show or that first Rage Against the Machine show? Uh, the inside out show. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I mean, yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, rage is cool. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's mind blowing, but you know, those times, you know, really are the root of really where a lot of ideas and everything was like being built what I think even my personality and who I am, my identity, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that. Um, what was your involvement with integrity when you, cause like <laughs> you're listed as playing in integrity, but I was just wondering what record and what era, cause I know there's a photo of you. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know there was actually a photo, but, um, like God, we we're in high school. And so Dwight had this idea, like, We'd always like either sleep at each other's houses, and uh, I remember he had this book that he got from like the secondhand bookstore, and it was um, "Integrity" was the title of it, mm-hmm. and and the, the the lettering is pretty much the shirt letter. I was like, <laughs> "Wow!" I was like, "He's just like, yeah, I'm taking that," and uh, he's like, "I'm gonna start making shirts of this band, Integrity." And I'm not going to, and there's not even going to be a band. (laughs) I'm just going to make up a band. So he made up like an idea of this band integrity. They were like a straight edge band and they're banned and they're extremely violent. (laughs) And they do shows and they're just beating up people with beers. And, you know, and he gave it like this whole background story, you know, and then making shirts at his high school. Um, they had like a printing area where you could do, he's like, you can do them for free there and I'm going to sell them at shows and just talk about this band integrity that doesn't even exist. <laughs> the people just started to really believe it. That's it awesome. was kind of like, <laughs> kind of like fake news. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like spreading the word, like early fake news. So, um, <laughs> So he does this for a while where people are really like, oh, my God, I'm terrified of this band. You know, I heard about him playing over there and I'm just like, oh, stop it. You know, like I, I'm I'm not saying anything, but I'm just hearing 
people talk about them. I'm like, really? Like, what what did you hear about them? You know, and it was just like I didn't say to anybody like this is bullshit. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Dwight thought it was funny, and then he was like, "Ah, oh, we should really do something. We should start a band." And I was like, "All right," and um. <laughs> And then we're just like finding like friends of ours that are basically none of us really could play any instruments. And um until finally he found people that wanted to, the Melnick brother Melnick brothers, who could actually play a little bit. And uh Scott Stern, rest in peace, mm-hmm. uh he played for a little bit, I think in the very beginning. And just kinda like force these friends of ours to play in the band <laughs> and i just kind of stepped back i was like okay you go and, and, and do this <laughs> that's so awesome because i remember a friend gave me a mixtape back in the 90s and it was confront on a radio show and at one point dwid calls in and he goes i'm from the band integrity and i represent the dark side of straight edge and the confront guys get like you know like yeah whatever whatever Oh my god, he was horrible. <laughs> I gotta find that tape. Oh my god, I totally believe it though, because I've heard about that and uh another one where he's just starts destroying like these screwdriver albums in the studio <laughs> on on air. <laughs> like it's like you cannot destroy the property here <laughs> in a college radio station. It's just like smashing screwdriver albums. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> but um i mean it was really outrageous it was really difficult to be friends with him i gotta say i mean i I was with him like every day almost you know and he was going i mean oh man it was just really really and he lived on the other side of the town um but it's just constant trouble all the time like the worst of the worst scenarios you could possibly imagine (laughs) they would just somehow play out you know um for numerous times you know it was just a lot of drama but we were very good friends you know (laughs) a lot of huge personalities in that scene too jesus christ yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it's funny how many legendary bands start with that formula of almost building the legend before you worry about the music for the band (laughs) Right, right. Oh my god, it, it definitely wasn't planned out that way. I mean, <laughs> it's impossible to plan anything out like that. I mean, I love hearing people tell the stories of certain stories, but um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm happy to see Dwight now. I mean, he's definitely changed so much, and this is wonderful to see. You know, it's it's night and day. You know, but it was inevitable, you know, it was just like really growing up and, um, and just developing, you know, one's values, you know, it's, it's a completely different person now with like a family and responsibilities and, and everything. So, um, but it was definitely like wild, wild, wild times. (laughs) Well, speaking of wild times, Derek, I've kept you for an exceedingly long wild time um <laughs> and it's lived up to every expectation i have would you come back for a part two at some point in the future absolutely yeah i mean as soon as this is sometime at 
this might be over. (laughs) 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 I can come back with more stories. (laughs) Well, there's tons of ground for us to cover, you know, like, yeah, that's uh, true that we just got, we just scratched the surface. But before I let you go, one thing I kind of wondered was like, in addition to false hope we talked about in keel hall, Mm -hmm. were there any other Cleveland bands that you kind of feel like have kind of fallen uh, you know, through the cracks a little bit in terms of like recognition or, or just bands that you kind of like love that you wish more people had kind of caught on to. I was a real big fan of the hostile Amish. There was this band that were just unbelievable to see because they'd be turning on stage and it was just a sight that I, <laughs> I'll never forget and how I just love those guys. Like the diversity in the scene was definitely pushing the limits. <laughs> and I still love that name, Hostile Amish. I mean, they were really going against the grain because they have a small community and they're for real. You know, like, They were real Amish yeah. people? Oh, yeah. That's they, incredible. They an, Amish, an Amish community. Yeah. I thought it was just like a bunch of hardcore kids doing a gimmick. No, 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 no. No gimmick. <laughs> How have I never heard of this band? You blow my mind. <laughs> I'm going to try to find a demo, man. What do they sound like I, sonically? Oh, I, that's a good question because I can't remember any of their songs, but <laughs> no. I just remember it was very heavy, <laughs> you know, very punk rock, like definitely oh. punky. Yeah. Uh, Derek, you got to start a label and release that Overfiend tape and release this Hostile Amish tape. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Those are the first two, then. <laughs> an Asphalt reissue, too, I guess. <laughs> oh, an Asphalt reissue. Absolutely. Oh, God. There's a whole list. Have uh, to reissue the guns. I'm going to search for that tonight. Uh, well, anytime you start this label or anytime you want to come back, this <laughs> this show will always be happy to have you. Right on. Thank you very much for having me. (laughs) Thank you, Derek, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, there's a lot more to get to with Derek. Derek will be back. Don't forget to check out that brand new Sepultura record, Quadra, and also their weekly streams. And you can see all sorts of cool guests on there. And hopefully Derek reissues those Overfiend demos, you know? Oh my gosh. I want to hear that so badly. When you turned on this podcast... With the lead singer of Sepultura, did you think that we were going to be connecting Jeff Buckley to Integrity, you know, or or Filter to to Quicksand? I didn't. I certainly didn't. But that's why we do this thing over here on Turn Out of Punk. If you're hearing all these weird forest noise in the background, well, it's not weird. It's because I'm in a forest right now, so uh, I'm being eaten alive by the bugs. So I should run inside and get some bug spray on. But before I let you go, I gotta gotta tell you about the next episode. Next episode on the show, we're continuing this Metal is Punk week thing that I'm going to be doing here on week, like a week of episodes being two, Uh, but the Metal is Punk theme continues because next episode on this show, Barney Greenway of the Gods, Napalm Death. How, How is that? For a week, you know, we got a the lead singer of Sepultura and the lead singer of Napalm Death, and they're both going to be talking about what else? Punk rock. Yep, that's right. Barney joins me, a legend, one of the coolest people in all of music, and we talk about everything from the Pink Fairies to Bastard to oh, Leatherface. It's a fun episode. Oh, oh, I'm excited about this week. <laughs> this is why we do this thing. This is why we do this thing. 
hey, once again, thank you everyone for listening. Please uh, support the Patreon if you can. Um, you know, and as always, remember, please, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. Get out there right now. Show up and support. Donate and support if you are able to. Uh, be involved. Pay attention. Fuck fascism. Um, it's a it's a real s- serious fucking thing that's happening right now. Uh, just turn on the news and look at what's going on. And you got to make a choice. You know, are you going to be on the right side or the wrong side of history? And the Nazis are always the wrong side. The Nazis are always the wrong goddamn side. Uh, also, go out there and make your own culture. It'll help keep you keep you together, keep you sane, um, and also sign your organ donor cards. Sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you're not going to need them. Just give them to someone else and let them, you know, let them have them. Uh, and that's it. Uh, yeah, I don't really have uh, much else to tell you. Uh, I'm excited for you to hear the next episode. Oh, boy, I'm excited for that. Uh, thank you once again, though. Huge thank you to my friend Danko Jones for making this happen this week. Oh, that's it. Okay, I'm going to go and uh, I'm going to go listen to some Outface. Uh, <laughs> I love that band. Thank you, everyone. See you next week. I love you. Bye.